0: Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's sermon podcast. In this Ascension Sunday sermon, we hear a fuller meaning of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. You are listening to All Things Under His Power by Reverend Peter Yonker. As I think many of you know, uh, this past Thursday was Ascension Day, and as I hope you've, you've realized by now, this Sunday is Ascension Sunday. We celebrate the fact that 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus was lifted up into heaven. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And there he sits at the right hand of the Father. And from there, he is king of all creation. He is king of king and Lord of lords. That's what we celebrate on this Ascension Sunday. And I I hope you picked it up in the songs that we've sung, the songs that you've heard us sing this morning are what you would call typical Ascension Sunday kind of songs. Jesus shall reign where'er the sun, crown him with many crowns. You can hear that those songs celebrate Christ's Lordship. There are also typical sermon texts for Ascension Sunday. And I'm thinking of texts like Acts chapter one. That's where you hear the story of the Ascension where Jesus is lifted up into heaven right in front of his disciples. I'm thinking of texts like Matthew 28, where Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I'm thinking of texts like Ephesians one where it talks about how Paul says that Jesus is over every dominion, power, and authority. All those texts are texts which really sharply focus on Jesus' kingly reign. I'm not gonna read any of those texts today in fact, I'm going to read a text that I don't think is associated with Ascension Day much at all. As I read it, I think you will hear that a lot of what I read uh, doesn't seem Ascension-y whatsoever. There are a couple of verses. I want you to listen for them. A couple of verses which refer to the Ascension, but the rest of it, I th- think you'll realize, is quite different. John chapter 13, verses 1 through 15. Listen. that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and that he was returning to God. So, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around his waist. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well Jesus answered those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet their whole body is clean and you are clean though not every one of you for he knew who was going to betray him and that was why he said not everyone was clean when he had finished washing their feet he put on his clothes and returned to his place Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I hope you heard at least some of the Ascension Day language, right? I mean, I think it's most obvious in verse 1 where it says, Jesus knew the time had come for him to go to his father. Time to go to his father, that you can sense the Ascension Day coming in that verse. And verse 3, that also sounds like ascension as well. Jesus knew that God had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and that he was going to God, right? That, That sounds like Jesus is king. That sounds like lordship language. But the rest of the passage, right, that doesn't sound like kingly stuff. In fact, the movement of the passage is exactly the opposite of the ascension. In the ascension, Jesus is lifted up, but in this passage he kneels down right at his disciples' feet. The ascension is about Jesus being carried up to heaven by God. Here, he humbles himself and gets down on the ground right in front of the dirty, stinky feet of his disciples. He doesn't wrap himself in kingly ascension garments. He puts on a towel, which is the clothing of a humble servant. In fact... When you study this passage in depth, you realize that Jesus goes even lower than a typical servant in this passage. The great scholar of John, uh, Raymond Brown, in his commentary, talks about how the typical thing to do for a host at a party like this one or at a meal like this one was to provide a bowl of water at the door so that when people came in and their feet were all dusty and their sandals were all dusty, they could wash their own feet. Kind of like if you go out to the lake and maybe you visit someone out there and at their door they have a little tub of water and you get the sand off your feet before you go in. Or maybe they have a little spray station where you can spray off your feet so you don't get dirt in the house. That's what they did with the dust of Jerusalem. They had a little bowl outside then you could wash your feet. But the point was you washed your own feet. Servants weren't expected to do that. Slaves weren't expected to do that. So when Jesus puts this towel around his waist and washes his disciples' feet. He's going lower than a typical servant. He's really humbling himself. So what's going on here? Many people will watch what Jesus does in this passage, and they will say, well, I know what Jesus is doing. He's giving up his power. He's king of kings, and he's lord of lords, but he's putting all of that aside. He's putting all his power aside. He's abandoning his power that sounds good, and I understand why people say that, but I'm not so sure. Because usually when we say things like that, when we say what Jesus is doing is abandoning his power, the very next thing we say is, and that's what we should do too. Christians should not have power, they should abandon power. We should become powerless, we should become servants and give up all our power. And that makes power sound like an evil thing. That makes power sound like something that is in and of itself always corrupting. But I'm not so sure that's correct. When Jesus grabs that towel and takes that bowl and washes his disciples' feet, he is not giving up power. He is showing us what real Christian power looks like. Jesus is not abandoning power. He's giving us a demonstration of what kingdom power, of what Christian power looks like and calling us to follow that example. A really important word in this text is that little two-letter word right at the beginning of verse 4. It's the word so. The word so at the beginning of verse 4 tells us that what happens in verse 4 streams from verse 3. So Jesus knows that all power has been put under him, so he washes his disciples' feet. The washing flows out of the power. It is an instance of the power. If the text wanted to explain that The power, that the the washing was totally different than the power. It would have said something like, Jesus knew that he had all power under him, but he washed his disciples' feet. That would be a signal to us that, a word like but would be a signal to us that the power had nothing to do with the washing. But the word so tells us that what Jesus is showing us is power. This is what Christian power looks like. This is what power looks like in the kingdom of God. We Christians are understandably nervous about power, talking about it. And that's because we've seen power misused so often in our world out there. We've seen power as dominance, my will triumphing over your will. We've seen power as a kind of posterizing of other people. And we're worried that if we talk about our power and Christian power that will end up sounding a little bit like the disciples when they used to argue about who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And we know that Jesus absolutely hated that. But power isn't necessarily bad. We all have power. We cannot escape that. We, all of us, exercise power. The little two-year-old toddling around the multi-purpose room has power. When she comes up to me and tugs on my leg And I'm in the middle of the conversation and I stop that conversation and I smile and look down on her. She's exercised power over me. She's used her power to change the flow of my day and the flow of my thoughts. The tiny little infant that parents bring home from the hospital. We like to say that these poor little babies, they're so powerless. Moms and dads know that's not true. That little baby has enormous power in the household. Every little breath, every little squeak has enormous power over mom and dad. We have power, and God means for us to have power. Just finished the sermon series on Genesis 1, right? What's the first thing that God tells people once he's created them? Go and rule the earth. That's power. Fill the earth and subdue it. Now, God's intention is not that we exercise the power of dominance or the power of my will over your will. It's the power of service. We're meant to get down on our knees in the garden and help it to flourish. We're meant to bless the animals and bless each other so that we create flourishing in his world. The dominance, the abuse, that's a result of the fall. And that's what Jesus came to this world to fix. In this passage, Jesus is fixing corrupt power and he's showing us what real Christian power looks like. And he's doing more than that. When he dies and we become in him, he sends his Holy Spirit. So the spirit in us begins to train us in his way of power. So what can we say more specifically about what Jesus is teaching us about real Christian power in this passage? I want to say two things. The first thing I want to say is that Jesus is showing us that his power, his cosmic power, does some of its strongest, most effective work in small places. When I say the word power, what sort of images come to your mind? Maybe the Senate chambers, maybe a corporate boardroom, Maybe when I say power to you, you picture men and women in power suits. That's a real thing, right? Sitting around some sort of conference table making executive decisions. Those are the typical images we have of power. And those images are real. Those images are true. Um, There is power in those places. And we Christians need to be involved in those places to help shape the power as it's exercised there. But Jesus shows us that ordinary actions in places much different are also incredibly powerful. If Jesus had wanted to instruct his disciples in Christian power in a different way, he could have done it. I suppose he could have said how they could get involved in the Sanhedrin and be effective on the Jerusalem council. I suppose Jesus could have taught them how to get in with the Romans and shape Roman policy. But he didn't do that. Instead, in his demonstration of power, he got down on his knees and washed his disciples' feet. And that's powerful. And we know it. Think of this. Maybe when you were little, younger elementary school, maybe up to middle school, maybe your mom or your dad made your lunch for school every single day. Let's say it was your mom. And she, she got up a little bit early and she made your lunch just the way you like it, right? The bread that you know, that she knew that you liked, and she put peanut butter on the bread, just the right thickness, and she spread it all the way to the edge of the bread because she knows that that's what you like. And then at night, when she put you to bed, she didn't sort of hustle you off to bed so she could go watch her show or go read her book. She took her time. She talked to you. Read you a story. Prayed with you. She did these little foot washings in the morning and in the evening. Now, how important, how powerful were those little things in your life? How much of the person you are today is shaped by the power of those little foot washings that your mother or your father did in your life every single day? And were those little foot washings, were those little actions of sacrificial power more or less powerful in your life than who was president or who was governor at that time? Now, of course, presidential power and governmental power is incredibly important, and we Christians need to be politically aware and politically active. But sometimes in our world, when you listen to the way people talk, it's as if, political power is the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that's shaping the world and that just isn't true. Never underestimate the power of ordinary people in ordinary places doing small acts of sacrifice in Jesus' name. Ordinary kitchen table acts of kindness. Because the power of those actions done in Jesus' name flows straight down from the throne of the ascended Lord and it changes hearts and it opens souls and it makes all things new. Christ's power is sacrificially worked out in small places as well as big. That's my first point. Second point Christian power starts with nakedness. I'm very compelled in this passage how when Jesus Uh, washes his disciples' feet. When he does this powerful thing, which really shakes them up, he starts by stripping. Now, Jesus almost certainly doesn't get all the way naked. He takes off, it says, his outer garment, and he probably had some sort of underwear, some undergarment on. But it still would have been incredibly sort of disturbing or, or shocking to his disciples that Jesus was standing there in his undergarments, it would have been absolutely as shocking as if I were to disrobe and stand in front of you in my undergarments, which I certainly will not do. And you will thank me for that. But, but still, Jesus puts himself in this vulnerable position. He appears in front of his disciples as, as, a, as a frail person, in, in his, in stripped down, almost naked in front of him before he does this act of power. And what is that foreshadowing? It's foreshadowing his crucifixion, of course. On the cross, Jesus will perform the most powerful act that has ever happened in history, the act that changes the world. And it's also a cleaning. He pours out his life for us to wash us completely clean. And what happens before that act? He is stripped naked and he is hung naked on that cross. This enormous act of power begins with nakedness, vulnerability. When you start thinking about it, there are other echoes like Leviticus 8. Now, most of you don't know Leviticus 8. We generally don't read Leviticus. Leviticus 8 is the account of the ordination and installation of priests in the Old Testament. Testament, and it's a long passage. It's the the ordination ceremonies are very intricate, and they involve things like uh, getting a, a fancy robe put on, and you get blood on your earlobe and blood on your toes, and and the priest is clothed in this this fabulous robe, and a headdress, and a, and a breastplate with precious stones on it. By the time it was over, the priest had a robe which was far more fabulous than anything I'm wearing. And maybe when you think of that in your mind's eye, you think, well, that's an example of, look at me, high and mighty kind of power when you wear fancy clothes like that. But you would be wrong. Because before the priest was clothed in the robes of power, all the people who were to become priests were brought up in front of the entire assembly and they were stripped naked and they were washed. Before they wore any robes, They stood in front of the entire assembly shivering with their stooped shoulders and their sagging flesh and their knobbly knees, their weakness right there for everyone to see. To show them that when they did get the clothes on, any power they had did not come from them, weak creatures that they were. It came from God. The naked priest standing in front of the entire assembly, shaking, shivering. Our Lord Jesus Christ, clad only in his undergarments, kneeling down at his disciples' feet. Our Lord Jesus, hanging naked on the cross, changing the course of history. Or, one more example, the person getting baptized in the early church, stripping down before she went down into the waters of baptism to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, where she would then come up and be clothed in her new robes. All of these things give the same message. All of these streams flow in the same direction. All of these examples show us that we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that his all-surpassing power comes from God and not from us. We all have power. And we're all called to exercise that power in the way of Christ. And our exercise of that power begins with the knowledge that we are only frail creatures saved by the good grace of God. All of us, from the most successful businessman to the smallest child in the nursery, all of us, from the chair of council to the gap-toothed neighbor who sleeps in the park every night. All of us, from the most upright member of the grave whom we all admire, to the man who comes to church and is so ashamed of what he's done in the past that he can barely look anyone in the eye. All of us are here and have any hope because we have been washed by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ broken sinners saved by grace. It's not us, Lord. It's you. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Please pray with me. Lord God, you know how much we love traditional, broken, look-at-me power. But this morning, as as we sit before your throne, ascended, Lord, and we see you sitting there and we can still see the, the nails, prints in your hands where you sacrificed yourself for us, we do not stand up tall and strong. Instead, we fall to our knees. We praise you for your grace. And we ask that you will give us the courage to be joyful, humble servants of you in this hard world. Amen. Thank you for listening to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.